I don't know about you, but it's been stirring. We need to pray for Nick up on the way because he hit his head last night. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, healed in Jesus' name. And anyone else that needs prayer for healing too. The making of disciples has been stirring in my spirit. I'm fresh again over the last few weeks. Something that's talked about, something that's you know that's been shared for, for a long time. But how well are we really doing it? Isn't it good to actually take stock, to actually reflect and make adjustments where necessary? Yes? Because we have to see the change. We have to see transformation. I'm reading a book at the moment that my, my brother in the Lord, Gary, started reading. It's uh, the Reformation of the Church. It's about leadership. It's about the biblical pattern of fivefold ministry being restored, not just in a church, but in a city. And my heart just goes, Amen. Come on. Man is kind of, you know, there was a Reformation of theology a few hundred years ago. There hasn't been too much Reformation of structure. And they're even talking about, in the book, they're talking about, you know, revivals come and revivals go. In sense of that, you know, they, they often just last for 12 months or 18 months or a couple of years or whatever, and they just have an outpouring, and everybody gets renewed and refreshed in God, and yes, there's lots of stuff happens. So where's the lasting change? Where's the lasting transformation? I remember talking to someone who was born in Wales. Is there anyone here born in Wales? Wow. Beautiful. I was Wales when I was born. Are you sure about that? So... That was my train of thought. Wales. Wales. Who was born one generation after the revival in Wales. And let me tell you that the revival in Wales was nation-shaking. The pubs were empty. The jails were empty. Police were falling on their faces on the road crying out to God. People were actually going to the police and actually admitting the, the, the stuff that they'd stolen or the things that had happened. They actually were confessing their sins to the police. It was a nation-shaking revival, and yet one generation after that revival, the church was back in just religion. We need change. We need transformation. Yes, we need a move of God's Spirit. Yes, we need an outpouring of His glory. Yes, we continue to pray for that and love for that and contend for that in Jesus' name. But we're all called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's where change happens. That's where transformation happens. Look at the transformation of 12 men that Jesus called. Look at the change. Look at the change of Simon. Simon's name means broken reed, and he became Peter, a rock. Look at the change in his life that happened over that period of time and continued to happen. And look what God did through him, amen? amen. True repentance is a turning from and a turning to. It's a turning from something and it's a turning to God. That is change. Isn't it? Yeah. That is transformation. I can't do this anymore. This is not my way, so I leave that behind and I turn this way and I walk in the ways of God. That's change. That's transformation. 
It's a letting go to lay a hold of. Events can't do that. Did you know events can't do that? You know, I know people that have just gone from conference to conference to conference to conference to conference. They have spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on conference. And please hear me, I'm not saying that conferences are not bad, that they're all bad. But what I'm trying to say is that what normally happens when you go to a conference, what normally happens is that you go and you're, and you're with a bunch of other people who are hungry for more of God, and there's a great atmosphere, and you have a great time while you're there, and you get something, something happens, you, and you come back, and you... And,
And this is what he said at the end of that time. Matthew 28. Some of you can probably quote the verses. The 11 disciples. The 11 disciples. There was 12. Jesus even handpicked the one who would betray him. He washed his feet, treated him the same, with the full knowledge that he would be the one that would be used to send him to the cross. Our job is to love people and to show them Jesus. We can't make decisions for them. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped. But some doubted. Jesus came here. He drew near and he said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen? Jesus demonstrated something for three and a half years and then he gave him his commission and he said, go and do likewise. But I'm convinced that we, when we read Matthew 28, we, have, we also have to read the first couple of verses of the book of Acts because we need to understand this because it's not my mind, it's not my power. But it's by the Spirit of God. Amen. And he said to the disciples, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. For you have heard me speak about John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire in a few days. When they come together, they ask the question, but the Lord says to them, anyway, in uh, verse 8 he says, But you will receive power. When my Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit is like a light that comes on inside and we become living testimonies or witnesses to what God has done. We walk in the anointing, we walk in the authority, we walk in the power. Amen? We walk in the testimony that the kingdom of God is alive, that God is alive. He's not another God next to all the other gods that are idols and stuff. He is, he is alive and he is real. We have to read the Great Commission in the light of the outpouring of the Spirit. Because we're never meant to just do it in our own strength. But take note of what Jesus said. He said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. How reassuring is that? You know, we belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The world might be shaken, but we belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In that confidence we go. Not in our own strength, not in our own effort, but we go because Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Amen. To make disciples of nations. That's big. Do we ever read it like that? Make disciples of nations. 
Let's just make, make, make disciples of somebody, but make disciples of nations. That is a big vision. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Never leaves us nor forsakes us. Hey, and he said, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Have you ever thought about that? What did Jesus teach them? What did he command them? What did he say to them that they were meant to pass on to other people? Have you, have you ever thought about that? This is Matthew's gospel. Matthew's gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. He continually speaks about the kingdom of God. Jesus came preaching, teaching, and healing, demonstrating the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He spoke to them these things, and he said to his disciples, now go and make disciples of nations and teach them these things. Teach them these things. That's a big vision, isn't it? This is why it needs everybody. This is why he needs you. This is why he needs the person sitting next to you. It's a big vision to disciple a nation. That's our job. That's our role. To see Australia come into alignment with the plans and purposes of God. Rather than just letting it wander off into its own course, being ruled by other principalities and powers. A battle's not against flesh and blood, it's against principalities and powers. And it's time that the church rises up and starts to see the strongholds broken and start to preach the truth and start to live for Jesus, whatever the cost may be. If we read, and we're not going to do that today because I don't want to keep you here for three or four hours. If we read the book of Acts, we would see that happen. We would see it happening. We see that there was a, that in, in Jerusalem, there was, there was a persecution that broke out. So, the, so they got dispersed. And as they went, they preached the gospel. As they went, they healed the sick. As they went, they ministered. And the gospel started to spread. And you see stories about riots in Ephesus. You, like, you read stories about different cities and different places. But the, but the gospel was making a difference. Things were being up, upheaved. Things were being turned upside down. It even says in Acts 76 that, that, that these men that have turned the world upside down have come here also. Barnabas needs to be turned upside down. It's the kingdom of God that turns it upside down. We see this model of relational Christianity. We see the early church living together, helping one another, supporting one another, ministering together. We see this model of relational Christianity which is based on repentance, a turning from and a turning to God. Living life together and sees whole cities impacted. Couldn't contain it. It couldn't be contained. And sometimes I think we're in a bit of a Mexican standoff. We're waiting for God to do something and God's waiting for us to do something. And we're waiting again for God to do something and God's waiting for us to do something. Because he says, I've blessed you with every spiritual blessing. I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. Well, what are you going to do with it? You got the five talents, you got the two talents, you got the one talent. Are you putting it to use or are you burying it? Every single
what are we doing with it? Is this a lot to that? Yes. Sure? Yes. 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 Otherwise, there's some rotten tomatoes coming up soon. I've heard people say, I've heard people say, I don't need anyone. Have you ever heard people say that? Yes. I don't need anyone, I've got Jesus. That sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? Well, it does on the surface. I don't need anyone, I've got Jesus. That's not biblical. Because we see that the church was a relational community. Amen. Being a disciple and making disciples. Being a disciple and making disciples. Jesus has an order. He has a structure. He has a patch which we need to see restored. We see clearly in the New Testament, we see a father-son model of discipleship. Don't we? We see a model. We use Paul as that example. Paul is like a spiritual father to someone such as Timothy. And he would and they did stuff together. They lived life together. He invested in him. He gave him opportunities. And eventually. He was able to say to the church in different cities, I'm sending my son Timothy to you. Receive him as you would receive me. That is everything that was in Paul's life, he had invested into Timothy. Yes, Timothy was still his own person in God. Yes, Timothy was still unique. But everything that Paul carried, he had invested into Timothy. He was saying to the church, you receive Timothy just as you would if you received me. Here's an example of how he spoke about his son, Timothy. Philippians 2. This is a verse that always amazes me. Constantly amazes me. I shared it the other night in the prophetic thing. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone else seeks their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. They were there shoulder to shoulder, serving, ministering, encouraging. How good is that? But it always, doesn't it always amaze us? That verse never ceases to amaze me. Here is Paul. Paul is raising up people. Paul is training people. Paul is taking people on the journey. And he still says this. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone's still looking out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So even some amongst Paul's people that he was raising up still had not died to self and risen with Christ. In every way. Biblically, we should all be disciples and we should all disciple others. So, my question is this God's question to you is this answer me. Who are you allowing to speak into your life? 
We need to be wise about who we allow to speak into our life, don't we? Because you can have people that dry you up, pull you down, suck you dry. See, you need to be careful about that. You need wisdom and discernment. But who is who is the person, or who are the people that you are allowed to speak into your life, and you catch up with regularly? And you allow them to minister to you as to the Lord. Who are they? Have you got anybody? If not, I encourage you to find someone. And then the second part of it is this. Who are you discipling? Who are you intentionally connecting with to encourage them in Christ? Who are you reaching out to? You see, we live in a world that is all about me, 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 me. And the best way to get out of me, me, me is to start to focus on you, 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 you. It's true. It's true. I remember speaking to someone one day, I think I might have shared this, I'm feeling in the back of my head I shared this. Back in Tasman, years and years ago, and I was talking to someone, they said, you know, no one visits me, no one brings me, no one looks, looks out for me. And I said to them, yeah, I said to them in love, I said, when was the last time that you, you rang someone? Oh, no, I don't do that. When was the last time you invited someone over for a coffee? Oh, no, I don't do that. And I thought, well, there's a problem. So who are you discipling? Do you, do, you, do you believe that you can disciple somebody? Is there a little voice in the back of your head since today saying, no, I couldn't do that? Well, if there is, get rid of it. Because God says, I put my spirit in you. God said, I've given you grace. God says, I've anointed you. God says, I've blessed you with every spiritual blessing. God says, I have gifted you. I have good works for you that I've prepared in advance. I have a plan and a purpose for you. That's what God says. You have so much to give another person. It doesn't matter even if you've been born again for one day, you've got something to give to another person. That testimony of what God did in your life is something that you can give to another person. Amen? Maybe you need to speak that over yourself. I have something to give to another person. Come on, Jude's got it. Come on. I have something to give to another person. Transformation of this region is going to happen as we begin to rise up and go, you know what? I need people in my life. I need to allow them to speak in my life. I need more of God. I need things to change in my life. But when we also say, you know what? Discipling other people. The word that God gave me during the week was we have to sow seeds. Are you a seed sower? Are you sowing seeds? Because God is the one that makes it grow. You can take the pressure off yourself. You don't need to make it grow. You just need to sow the seeds. One sows, one reaps, but God makes it grow. God is the one. So take the pressure off yourself. Just sow seeds. You can sow a seed in the supermarket. 
Every single one of us here today is unique. We all have a niche, a God divine purpose, and God says to us, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. You know, discipleship is a two-way thing. It's a two-way thing. Someone has to be willing to disciple others. But those other people have to be willing to be discipled. Without that two-way thing, it doesn't work. Someone can be willing to disciple lots of people, but if there's no one willing, it doesn't work, does it? Someone could be willing to want to be a disciple, but if they can't buy someone, just work in So I want to encourage you today. Have coffee with someone. Catch up with someone. Connect with someone. Someone that you respect in the Lord. Someone that you feel that God is, God is leading you to. And just receive from them. Just receive from them. But then go and find someone else. Encourage them to go. Encourage them. Build them up. Strengthen them. <coughs> That's qualification. Two twos become four. Four fours become sixteen. Sixteen. Sixteen become any mathematicians. <laughs> one hundred and sixty. That's uh, forty. Two hundred six. Something like that. No, one hundred ninety six. I don't know. Somewhere in the ballpark of that. They multiplies. They multiplies. Multiplies. It's God's way. It's God's pattern. We see it in Scripture. We just need to get back to it. That's how Bible is going to be changed. That's how this region is going to be changed. Amen? So the question is, what are you going to do about it? Ooh. <laughs> what? I have to do something about it? I have to do something. Yeah. I like what Matt said. God is more than willing. He's more than able. He's just waiting for us to position ourselves. Okay. And he will do the rest. Yes. Amen? Amen. Yeah. So let's position ourselves for what God wants to do. Yeah. And he will do the rest. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Let's worship. Where's the turn? <laughs>